Uh, we are uh, continuing uh, summer sermon series through book two uh, of the Psalter. That's Psalms 42 uh, to 72. Um, as we come to Psalm 73, uh, you will discover, if you don't know already, that it's not a particularly uh, cheery text. Um, in fact, you, you might have already started to feel like book two itself is a little heavy, and that'll, that'll keep going over the next few weeks. Uh, but Psalm 53 is, is not especially um, uplifting, or it doesn't have very uplifting things to say about humanity, um, particularly uh, those who would deny God or simply deny his importance. And just for me, uh, this week, I will say that in some sense, it has not been particularly fun <laughs> uh, to study this passage. And so if you're, if you're visiting here, uh, maybe for the first time, um, as you listen to me read this psalm, you, you might think, well, good grief. Uh, <laughs> uh, why are these guys so heavy? Well, preaching a psalm like this is a good reminder to us uh, that we don't come to God's word uh, simply uh, to make us feel good, although, although we hope to feel good and we're thankful for the times uh, that we do feel good, uh, we come to God's word to find the truth. Uh, sometimes that truth has hard edges, uh, but at Redeemer, uh, it's our hope that, that those edges uh, will be used uh, by God's spirit to shape us uh, not just to satisfy our, our worldly desires, but to build us and to form in us new and, and godly desires. So, so before I read Psalm 53, I also just want to point out uh, that it, except for a couple words, and except for maybe the second half of verse 5, this is almost an exact repetition of Psalm 14. Uh, they're essentially uh, the same psalm, and then, then on top of that, uh, you, you might remember this uh, if you were in a community group last year, uh, but portions of the first three verses here are also quoted again uh, by Paul in Romans uh, chapter 3. So three different times uh, these somewhat uncomfortable words uh, make their way into the Bible. Uh, it's my impression that God uh, really wants us to get this. Uh, it is just the kind of thing uh, that we're prone to forget. Uh, but as I hope you'll see, it's vital to understanding uh, both who you are uh, individually, but also uh, who God is uh, as he uh, relates to us. Uh, so with that in mind, if you'll, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 53, uh, let's give our attention uh, to the reading of God's holy and inerrant, uh, infallible word. It's also printed for you there uh, in your bulletin. This is Psalm 53. To the choir master, according to Mahalath, a mascal of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. 
Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror where there is no terror, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel uh, be glad. Father, we thank you uh, for your word and we pray for the next uh, 30 minutes or so uh, that by your spirit you would use it uh, to shape us, to form us, to show us who we are, to show us who you are. Uh, We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, uh, down uh, down in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, So do you... Uh, consider yourself a sinner. Uh, Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not even sure if you believe in sin. Uh, I'm I'm sure most of you uh, would be willing to acknowledge that you have sinned, but may not want to identify yourself as a sinner. And and then, of course, some of you are going to be quick to want to run to the theological Uh, jargon and talk about total depravity but when is the last time that your sin uh, brought you to tears Uh, do you live and breathe as though you are in need of a physician a couple weeks ago Todd preached for us from Psalm 51 and there as as David comes to grips uh, with his own sin and pleads for God for forgiveness, he tells God that he is going to teach transgressors your ways and that sinners will return to you. And then in the next Psalm uh, 52, what Hal preached last week, David begins to describe the corruption of humanity. And if, if we stopped there, if we stopped there, it would be easy to think that the problem uh, lies with the world. It lies with uh, the doegs if you remember the sermon last week. It lies with the outsiders, those people. But as Psalm 53 uh, makes very clear for us, uh, every man needs to grapple uh, with his own corruption. And remembering Psalm 51, uh, David's goal is that sinners would return to God. So these words here, they serve uh, as a warning for us. It's a warning To God's people, not to trust in their national identity, or in our case, not not to trust in the fact that we've been baptized, or to trust in some uh, decision we remember making in the past, or to trust in any sort of external Christian affiliation, but to learn to see ourselves uh, for who we really are as dependent creatures. The psalm shows us that to deny God uh, this honor The honor of being the one on whom we depend uh, is the height of foolishness. So as we look at this warning uh, to fools, there's three things I want us to see about uh, the fool. First, uh, we'll look at the heart of the fool. Uh, Second, that 
We live in a world full of fools. Uh, And lastly, I want us to see that there is hope for fools, okay? The heart of a fool, a world full of fools, and hope for fools. So first, uh, let's look at the heart of a fool. What we need to see is that denying God is always a matter of the heart. Uh, The word fool is not a particularly uh, contemporary word, but it is something that we find uh, quite a bit in the Bible. It's used over a hundred times uh, just in the book of the Proverbs. It's always uh, in contrast to the wise man. Uh, but it is, it's not a matter uh, of intelligence. Uh, it's not uh, an IQ uh, discussion. Um, foolishness is a moral category in the Bible. You see, the fool, he he doesn't seek wisdom because he has nothing to learn. Uh, He has all that he needs uh, in himself. At some point, it it might might be worth it for us to preach through uh, some of the Proverbs and we could see what it has to say about the fool. Uh, But in Psalm 53, uh, David has two things uh, to show us. He tells us uh, what the fool says and, and then he tells us what the fool does. Of course, what he says is there is no God, which is a little uh, odd because in the Old Testament, uh, there weren't really any atheists, at least not in the way that we think of atheism today. Uh, you know, the modern atheist is someone who believes that the world uh, is merely physical. Perhaps there are Uh, laws of uh, mathematics uh, and the law of gravity, uh, the laws of logic, but there are no spiritual uh, realities. Uh, Human beings themselves are just sort of interesting assortments of elements, but then when they die, uh, the assortment just gets changed around a little bit. That's all there is to it. Now, if that is what you believe, the psalm does uh, call you a fool here. I I don't say that to be uh, pejorative, and I I don't say that uh, lightly. Uh, But your own search for significance, the fact that you assign meaning to things, uh, your sense of justice, the idea that anything at all ought to be a certain way, all of these things reveal something fundamental about who you are, about the world around you, uh, that you are made by God and that you are made in his image, that your whole existence belongs to him. To turn and then deny that he exists, uh, as one pastor put it, it is like a man who tries to hold a beach ball down underwater while denying the existence of the beach ball. Uh, It It is to kick against the grain of reality itself. Uh, But in Psalm 53, uh, this statement, there is no God, it's not not strictly uh, atheistic. Uh, Instead, what we have is a statement about the significance of God uh, to the life of the fool. You see, rather than just a bald denial of God's existence, it's a denial of God's relevance. And who, who really cares if God exists? 
if he's not relevant. Do you ever wonder if God is really uh, relevant uh, to you? Uh, This is a kind of practical atheism. I mean, does he really make any difference to you at all? Is God of any real consequence uh, to, say, your Monday mornings? And maybe, you know, maybe you say, well, I have never said that there is no God, and I I never would say anything like that. And what does this really have to do uh, with a room full of people who all decided to get up and go to church on Sunday morning? Well, notice the fool, he does not say this uh, with his lips, but he says it in his heart. The fool has not reached this conclusion based on a survey uh, of the evidence. Uh, This is not an intellectual exercise. Uh, It has nothing to do uh, with a lack of information. In fact, if anything, it's it's a rebellion against uh, the information. It's not really about thinking at all. Uh, What we see in Psalm 53 is a disposition of the heart. Uh, This is something something deep down on the inside, uh, something at the core of who you are. Uh, Thomas Watson, uh, 17th century Puritan. By the way, the Puritans get a bad rap sometimes for, well, for a lot of things, but one of them is for being sort of difficult to read. Thomas Watson's a great place to start if you've ever wanted to dive in. Very easy to read, very pastoral. In any case, uh, Thomas Watson, 17th century Puritan, he wrote about this kind of heart-level denial of God that we see here. He said, he does not speak it with his tongue, but in his heart. He wishes it. He wishes it. In other words, the fool may never actually say the words, well, God is of no account to me, but in his heart, he would prefer that God would leave him alone. It is his desire that God not exists. Have you set up your life in such a way so that God doesn't even come into the picture for more than a few hours of your week? David says this is what fools do. You see, you you can't adopt a neutral posture uh, toward God. To wall him out of even the smallest little corner of your life is to deny him who he is. He is infinite eternal and unchangeable. He's the creator and the sustainer of all things. But David also tells us uh, that what's rooted in the heart, uh, it will not stay there. You cannot keep it there. It doesn't stay hidden. What fools say is borne out uh, in what they do. In verse 1 we read, they are corrupt doing abominable iniquity in verse 3. The word fallen away there, it it could sound passive, but it means something like proven unfaithful. In other words, they have put their foolishness on display. This is why Paul can say in Titus 1 that men profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. The heart 
won't stay underground. One of the uh, better living theologians that I know, uh, my father-in-law, he really is a good theologian. He has this great little saying. He says, sin don't get no better. Uh, When God is consistently either denied or just ignored, uh, when his place in your life is anything less than total and central, the presence of sin, which is always against him, uh, is also denied and ignored. But this denial won't make it go away. Now, sin always seeks to grow. It's never satisfied with just a corner of your heart. It seeks a a total victory over you. And so what we find is that sin not only becomes destructive, but it also also becomes easy. In verse 4, the desires of the heart affect the community, uh, eating or consuming God's people. Sin is never just contained to your individual life as you allow it to destroy you. It reaches out and it touches those around you. And it turns out it just gets easier and easier. It becomes as natural as eating bread. The kind of thing that you do on a daily basis without a second thought. But if, if foolishness Uh, If this heart of foolishness that we're talking about, if it isn't really about the information, well, then that means the the solution can't really be about the information either. Practical atheism, it begins and it grows from your heart. That means we need to care for the heart. Uh, We need to watch over it. We need to cultivate its affections. Proverbs 4.23 says to keep your heart with all vigilance. Other translations say to guard your heart. It may seem obvious, uh, but this is just not easy work. Uh, It is hard work. Uh, It is constant work. I mean, when is the last time that you were vigilant about anything, uh, much less your own heart? Everything uh, in our society is working against this kind of attitude to, to keep your heart. You will have to believe that God and what he wants are actually more important than you and what you want. This is a monumental task. Uh, the whole world is telling you another story that you are what matters most in life. Uh, But to keep your heart, you will have to believe that God knows more than you do, even about yourself. You see, God, he knows the desires you ought to have, while all you can think about is the desires you currently have. The world is pleading with you to just give way to whatever comes naturally, to whatever comes easily, but to keep your heart. You will have to believe that a glorious future of fellowship with the saints in the presence of God himself, 
so glorious that you cannot even imagine that it is worth making incredible sacrifices for today. All while your phone vibrates in your pocket with the urgency of the present. Uh, But the hardest thing to believe, uh, the very thing uh, that makes all these other beliefs hard, uh, the very thing that will need your constant attention, and it's, it's what no heart wants to say, is that you too are just a fool. We've looked uh, at the heart of a fool, but we have to remember that we live in a world that is full of fools. That is to say, no one escapes the sentence here. In verse 2, God looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. This is what's called an anthropomorphism where we ascribe uh, human characteristics to God uh, to help us get a picture of what he's really like, even though we can't totally see uh, what he's really like. But the picture here is that God, with all-seeing eyes and all-knowing wisdom, searches the farthest corners of the earth, hoping to find someone who would seek him, someone who understands, someone who gets it. But in verse 3, we read, they have all fallen away. Uh, Not not to be too technical, uh, but the word for all here means each one of the whole. Uh, This is not hyperbole. This is God's assessment of humanity. Uh, There is none who does good, repeated from verse 1, and for emphasis, not even one. And Psalm 53 is not uh, unique. This is the message of the scriptures. Uh, In Genesis 6, uh, prior to the flood, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then in In Genesis 18, just before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for their evil, uh, we read there that he goes to look, uh, to find out if what he's heard about them is really true. And Abraham asks God, he pleads with him, uh, to please spare this city if you could find just 50 uh, righteous men. And God God agrees to the terms, but you you probably know the story. Then Abraham adjusts it and says, well, what about 40? And he keeps bringing it down until he gets to only 10 left, but the results are always the same. When God looks, when God searches, uh, he finds no one righteous. No, not one. And so when Paul quotes these verses uh, in Romans chapter 3, he uses them to show uh, that both Jew and Gentile alike are facing the same issue, and that is that every human being on earth has a heart that is infected uh, by sin. Uh, The point is simple, that this is a universal 
problem. Uh, It is just who you are apart from grace. Now, if you've been um, in a Reformed church for any length of time, or maybe another PCA church, you have heard this kind of thing before, uh, but it, it becomes something that you can, you can just sort of say, oh, yeah, I know, I'm totally depraved. What next? But this is the kind of thing uh, that we, uh, we need to really grapple with this. You are not a good person. Uh, the Reverend Matt Seipel is not a good person. And you might say, well, I know I'm no saint, but I mean, I'm not a fool. I'm a decent neighbor, and I love my kids, and I try to be nice to my wife. But the reality is, most of you do what you think you can get away with. And the rest of you are probably just afraid. Uh, But everyone here, everyone here, could be a monster if the circumstances were just a little bit different in your life. Now, it's true, it's true that not everyone exhibits the same level of aggression towards God as we see the fool saying in verse 1, but the fact is no one is wise. Every sin that you commit, uh, great and small, reveals a heart that secretly knows better than God. Uh, Every tiny lie uh, that you tell your parents, it comes from a heart that loves evil more than it loves good, a heart that thinks it can manage life without God, without the one who gives life. So when God looks down, he finds no one that seeks him. Uh, You and I, are fools in a world full of fools. Uh, but the last thing that I want us to see, and if you've, if you've tuned out at this point, this is the time to wake up. Uh, the last thing is that there is hope for fools. It is real, genuine hope. I mentioned earlier that this is a warning psalm. As David Uh, recalls the flood and recalls Sodom and Gomorrah, he wants you to remember that those stories, they end in judgment. Uh, That God's judgment is not only real, I mean, it has happened before, uh, but it is uh, deserved by each and every man and woman uh, that is here today. You see, while the fool, uh, he is terrified, he's terrified of all the wrong things. He's not sure if he's going to be able to retire or not. But what he ought to fear is the coming judgment. Verse 5 says, For God scatters the bones of those who will not call upon him. I know this still sounds like it's all hard edges uh, at this point, but but warnings, uh, warnings imply a way of escape. So notice, After God pronounces the whole world foolish, unwise, and atheistic in their heart, uh, we read, 
about my people. Surprisingly, there is this subset called my people in the world of fools. And it's made up of those who call upon God. See, the point here is the only, the only difference between God's people and the rest of the world is that they would call upon him. You see, apart from God's grace and God's mercy, every Christian is as foolish and sinful and as condemned as the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, But like our hymn says, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. God extends his mercy. He is rich in mercy. God overflows with blessings and goodness and mercy. And so there is a salvation that will come out of Zion. Uh, Zion may be somewhat obscure uh, to you, but Zion is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. It is both the dwelling place of God himself, but also the place of King David's rule uh, in Jerusalem. And it is the great successor to David's throne, uh, God's son, Jesus Christ, the king of the new Jerusalem, who will bring uh, this salvation. You see, people... (laughs) People prefer to hear good news about themselves, uh, but the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. You know, when when he read uh, Psalm 53, uh, Jesus was, he was learning about his own mission. Uh, As he grew in wisdom and stature, uh, he knew that he would be the salvation that would come out of Zion, but he was also learning that men would deny him, uh, that although he would perform countless uh, public miracles, uh, they would still want to kill him, and yet in spite of these things, he never fell away. Uh, He was the embodiment of wisdom, and as Acts 10 says, he just went around doing good. And so when God uh, looked down upon him, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the gospel tells us that you and I can call upon him. You can call on his mercy, on his faithfulness on your behalf, on his empowering spirit for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. God loves this world of fools, and you can put your hope in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you did not leave the world in its fallen state, that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you sent your Son, uh, Jesus Christ, not only uh, to die for our sins, but to overcome them with resurrection power. We thank you that Jesus overcomes our practical atheism. 
Uh, We pray that you'd help us to see who we are. And we pray uh, that by your spirit, uh, we would turn to you that over and over again, we would learn uh, to call upon you uh, for every good thing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.